Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Advancing the Profession with me, Rob Jackson. It is a pleasure to have you join us all again for this latest edition of a podcast in which I explore issues around advanced practice and learning in leading and managing volunteers and volunteer engagement. And in this edition, we're going to be investigating the place and value of research and data in working with volunteers and effectively engaging volunteers and looking not only at research and data in volunteering, but also looking broader into other fields, which as regular podcast listeners will know has been a theme that we've been picking up throughout this series. I am really pleased to welcome today my guest, Toby Johnson, who I have known for a number of years and had the great pleasure of working with in the States in those times when we could all get back together in in physical rooms and work with each other. And it's been fantastic to reconnect with Toby just before we started hitting record for this. So, Toby, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Would you just like to introduce yourself for those listeners today who may not know that much about you? Oh, Rob, thanks so much for having me. And indeed, it's been a while. It has. Oh, man. So uh, it's a pleasure being here. And just to let folks kind of know a little bit about me, uh, my name's Toby Johnson. I'm the president and founder of Toby Johnson and Associates and Volunteer Pro. And what we do is help organizations attract, grow, and scale their volunteer teams and programs and initiatives so that they can better meet their missions. And we do that through online courses, a community of practitioners and professionals. And, you know, once in a while, I'm out and about public speaking too. And you and the team are some of the most prolific bloggers in our fields. I feel that there's like two or three blog posts come out of Volunteer Pro and the desk of Toby every couple of weeks. And there was certainly a brilliant purple patch of them in the last few months around the role of volunteers in organizational sustainability and all of those kinds of things. I think there's the fantastic content that you guys put out that I always make sure I read. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we do a a weekly blog for uh, our Toby Johnson side of the house, which is our speaking and consulting side of the house. And then we do a weekly blog for the volunteer pro side of the house, which is our digital training and and community side. And yeah, we try to keep up to date on things and and put ideas out there. We've also written a lot about inclusion and inclusive volunteering and just trying to look at bias and where it might come out. Sometimes we put out things that are a little controversial. We like to, you know, really push the envelope on how we're thinking as a field. And of course, you and the marvelous Jen Bennett from Volunteer Match also have your own podcast, don't you? Jennifer and I do the Time and Talent podcast. We do it seasonally. We are now getting ready to do season three. And we interview volunteer managers. We try to find folks that are the best and the brightest of practitioners and what they're trying. And uh, so right now we're doing a little research, talking to people, trying to decide who our guests are. And and, uh, Jennifer and I have a good time. We actually thought about you know, we originally conceptualized that at the national summit. And when was that? Like 2016 or 2017? Yeah. Yeah. And it took us a couple of years to get it off the ground. And now that it's off the ground, we're having a great time with it. And it always sounds like you're having a great time. <laughs> we're a little sassy. I can't help it. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm not a, I'm not ashamed to admit that and, and Meridian's Volunteer Plane Talk podcast were inspirations for me in getting this up and running as well. I thought, you know, yeah. I need to add a UK voice to the podcasting field. So uh, yeah. thank you for the inspiration to do that. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great to have these different perspectives. And the more we can start to educate and advocate for uh, volunteer involvement, we all know you know, in our field, we know how powerful volunteer involvement can be for organizations and for communities and for individuals and for companies, you know, you name it. And not everybody has gotten on the boat yet. So no. it's good Good we're out there uh, helping involve and, and um, educate folks. Certainly plenty of work for us all to do. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, one of the things people may know about, even if they haven't connected it with you is the volunteer management progress report which you've been doing for the last six years i can't believe it's six years already it's like watching a child grow up you know it's just <laughs> missing by. do you do, tell us a bit more about the volunteer management progress report in general but sure. i suppose what i'm really interested to know because 
this whole podcast series is around advanced learning and practice for leaders of volunteer engagement. What insights from the kind of six years of research data have you got to, to kind of help us think about, well, what is advanced and, and what's the demand for advanced? So just in a nutshell, if you haven't seen the volunteer management progress report, if you go to volpro.net, the top, you'll see research in the top menu. Just click on that and you can go to the report and download all six years of the report. Years ago, part of it, you know, I just needed to understand as a person that was delivering professional development, consulting, courses, community, et cetera, I just needed to better understand what were the current challenges people were up against right. because people were coming and they were struggling yeah. and, you know, our sort of old school, what we learned in like circa 1985 about how to manage volunteers wasn't working anymore. And I was hearing it over and over again. I, and I experienced it in the own, my own programs when I was running volunteer programs that one program I was running, you know, I'd been in existence for 30 years and it was starting to lose its ability to attract, you know, a robust core of people. And so I know for some organizations, it's been kind of slow downhill decline. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to understand why. And so we started the volunteer management progress report in 2016. Well, we did the, we usually do the survey in the fall and then we release the report at the beginning of the year. And at the time I, I said to folks, look, I'm going to do this every year because there's value in trend data. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And folks were like, you're insane. It's a lot of work. We don't get any grant money for it. We don't charge people for it. Yeah. And it's a giant crowdsourcing. I call it the largest crowdsourcing of volunteer manager data in the world. And it's global. Yeah, it's global. Majority respondents are from the US, but we get respondents from all over the world. Last last year, I think it was 18 different countries. Wow. So, so every year we ask questions and some are different based on what's happening in the world. This most recent one was the COVID edition, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But every year we also ask some of the similar questions. And, you know, if you want to talk trends and what I've learned over the past six years, one of the most interesting, fascinating questions that we ask is, what is your biggest challenge, your number one yeah. biggest challenge when it comes to leading volunteers? And by the way, if you're not a volunteer manager, you cannot complete the survey. If you're not yeah. a currently active, you get disqualified. So it's only people are currently working in this year. We said, if you've been laid off this year, that's okay. You can participate too, because, you know, we've had folks lose their jobs. So year after year, after year, after year for five years straight, volunteer recruitment was the number one, mm -hmm. uh, biggest challenge. And just so you know, this is an open-ended comment. Mm -hmm. open-ended so we code my colleague who works with me pretty much every year on this pam capolides she's at latrobe university in melbourne australia she is a professor and an expert at qualitative both interviewing and coding of qualitative data for volunteer uh she teaches volunteer management so we're really dialed in we have a fun yeah. time with this so she codes usually it might be 16 hundred responded responses wow. and we categorize. So every year recruitment comes up as a top theme for five years. This year was a complete mix up. The second, the second biggest challenge is support, buy-in, respect, reliability of volunteers, all around the theme of influence yeah. of the leader of volunteers. Are they able to influence others to yeah. do the right thing, right? This year, complete shake up of all of that supervision came to the top okay retention volunteer retention which that makes sense supervision yeah. was a lot about like how do you manage remote teams basically yeah. because yeah. of covid uh recruitment fell to number three and so for me what this tells me you know i'm always like trying to see what's behind the data what it tells me the shakeup of this last year doesn't surprise me. And I think it's going to go back to the old trend. We'll, we'll see. I could be wrong, you know, but what it tells me if recruitment is still the biggest challenge that for the field, the basic, especially, and a lot of the, we have folks that have a variety of tenures in the field. It's yeah. very diverse, anywhere from beginners all the way to 20 years plus experience. And 
the majority of respondents are, you know, three years or more in the field. So it's not a lot of beginners. So this is a lot of experienced folks taking the survey. So if recruitment continues to be the biggest challenge, then my question is, why is that? And yeah. I believe that the old school methods of recruitment are not working anymore, especially in today's digital world. I mean, if you yeah. think about it, where do we get our information on our phone and on the yeah. Google? Yeah. And on our social media, that's it. That's where we get yeah. all our information, all our news. If we, if we need an answer to anything, we go straight to Google, yeah. you know, we go straight to Google. And if we're going straight to Google and you don't know how to do, for example, search engine optimization or SEO, which we teach our members and whatnot, our, our course students, a little bit about how SEO works. If you're not showing up on page one, you're not getting found. Yeah. Right. So that's just, a little bit about what that trend tells me that the the you know and if you want i can talk about digital maturity a little bit and what we learned this year on that too yeah that'd be good i mean one one thing i was just thinking when you were saying that around the the, the kind of the seo one of the things i've talked about for a while and it's based on my experience with the, you know the four kids that my wife and i have who range from like 24 to 14 is if they want to look anything up in the on the internet first of all they do it on their smartphones Sure. And secondly, they don't start with Google. They start uh, with Instagram. There you go. They start yeah. with Snapchat. So, yep. yeah, you're absolutely right. If our digital presence isn't there, then you're spot on with everything that you say about SEO. But when it comes to engage, you know, I hear a lot of organizations say we can't recruit young people. That's because you're invisible to them. Yes. You yes. search volunteer opportunities, Grantham, Lincolnshire, nothing comes back on Instagram. Yes, absolutely. You know, and we've been doing, it's not like we all know how to do this. We don't like spring out of the womb being no. like adept in digital, especially those <laughs> of us who are of a certain vintage. And I will, you know, I'm one of those of a certain vintage. So when I started Volunteer Pro, it was like six years ago, I didn't know diddly about yeah. like yeah. digital marketing, digital engagement, how to engage an audience online, how to build yeah. relationships online. But I'll tell you, it absolutely works works because yeah. you know what my husband and I met on uh, eHarmony and we fell in love without ever meeting each other face to face I mean later we did and we double checked that like gut feeling <laughs> but you know in you know so we were we were doing it pre-COVID right yeah. but I had to learn I didn't know anything about this so I've spent you know the last six years really like you know in our business we have to evolve yeah, everything we do is online and that really future-proofed volunteer pro when we went through COVID. And yeah. so organizations, the good news, you know, this year in the report, we asked about digital maturity. Yeah. And we've asked for two years now. This is a trend data that I wanted to kind of check out. And I asked the respondents to rate their, their agency's digital maturity around specific areas related to uh, engaging volunteers or managing volunteers or communicating with volunteers. So around recruitment, orientation and training, matching and placement, scheduling, et cetera, communications, document sharing, collaboration, all of those different things. And the good news is that those ratings of folks who, you know, we could rate it as lagging, adapting or mature. Mature right. means you're using it a lot. You feel really comfortable with it. Adapting means you're trying to. Lagging means, you know, we don't really use it that well. We're, you know, we're not really, or we're not using it at all. And over the past two years, it's really, in all areas, we've had improvement of people. self. Now people are self-rating, but yeah. I'm assuming people are pretty honest about what they are. They're self-rating. That's the good news. So it's it's been an increase across the board on every area of digital. The bad news is, we're still not there yet. You know, overall, we also ask what you, how would you rate your agency's overall digital maturity when it comes to connecting with volunteers online? And only 24%, it was up from 13% the year before, but only 24%. So one in four would say we're mature. And in 55% or so said, you know, we're still adapting. So we still have a ways to go. Yeah. Um, in a world that is completely online now. I, I was going to say, and that, that, that field work was kind of late 2020. So when a lot of people have been at least six months into the pandemic. So, yes. and we're still 50% rating our digital maturity is not very good. Yes. And 
you know, I think that is probably skewed to the positive. I mean, nobody wants to, number one, always when no. people are self-rating, it, it skews to the positive. But also, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. If I, Because I, I've been in trainings where I go, you know, you really got to look at your SEO. And people go, what? What's SEO? Yeah. Yeah. I'll hear it in, I'll see it in the chat. What's SEO? And I'll be, oh, excuse me, gang. I got to explain what this is. But if you work in digital, you if you said SEO to somebody who works regularly is, is adept in a digital space, they would say, oh, yeah, search engine optimization. Yeah. Am yeah. I showing up on page one of Google or am I showing up on YouTube on the, you know, or am I showing up in Instagram at the yeah. top of the search yeah. or am I showing up at people's feeds? And there's those days, I'm sure you've had them. I've certainly had them training those days of from before the pandemic, a volunteer manager saying, well, it's not worth investing in digital and online because our volunteers won't use it that excuse disappeared in the last year okay there are well, some that won't there are some that won't because of digital exclusion but there are a lot that have for one reason or another embraced it and yes 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 i mean even you know my mother-in-law just started using texts like people are yeah. still my mom goes on facebook every day she is the worst i mean she gets into my facebook or you know we have our volunteer pro insiders our free facebook group and my mom, I like when I first started the group, I'm like, mom, why are you joining this? You're not a volunteer manager. Oh, it's okay. And so it's like, she's saying happy birthday to me in the group. I'm like, oh, that's so inappropriate. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, there's my mom again. Fantastic. But, you know, but you know, it, it's like people are going to adapt. We're humans. Yeah. We're going to adapt. Here's what I say to people. Look, if you are not using digital to find volunteers, you will find that volunteers don't use digital or yeah. don't use technology. Yeah. If you don't use technology, you're attracting, you are a self-fulfilling pro prophecy. And if you allow, you know, I, we love our volunteers to death and I'm a huge, huge proponent of grassroots to grass tops organizational development, that volunteers should have a say in things that impact them. However, when organizations set their entire strategy based on the digital maturity of the volunteer who is not where they need to be yet or and may not get there, you're for all intents and purposes shooting yourself in the foot. You can't, yeah. you cannot, there is a limit to that, you know, to the grassroots to grass tops. Yeah. And there have been, you know, in time and talent, uh, we interviewed a woman by the name of Elizabeth Pulaski. She's also a volunteer pro member. And she does an online program, a mentoring program that was in, actually was in person before COVID. All senior citizens doing mentoring with youth and children. And she decided, look, these kids still need support. I'm going to yep. find out if my volunteers have a hankering to learn how to get on Zoom. So she pilot tested it and they did massive amount of support. And you know what? It worked. And you know what? The volunteers would be more than happy to continue doing it that way. Yeah. 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 So, you know, it's not impossible. Now, no. I also have a dad who I tried to get a smart, actually, we just tried to get him a flip phone. He had it for two weeks. He's like, enough already with this. My dad will never, ever use a phone. But at some point, you know, are you going to say, okay, I'm going to do a paper newsletter and I'm going to do an e email newsletter and I'm going to make personal phone calls and I'm going to, you know, you have to, you got to decide your mission yeah. is your most, your mission yeah. is not your volunteer. Your mission is your organization's mission, right? And I, I think one of the things that I found, well, I hope I found it encouraging, but I hope other people have found it encouraging over the last year is that whether it's this digital that we're talking about or other things like the demographic change that we've seen happening around volunteering, you know, where almost everybody over the age of 70 stopped volunteering overnight here in the UK on the 23rd of March when our first lockdown came in. None of these issues are issues that have been completely new to COVID. They are changes that we knew were coming to volunteer engagement for years beforehand. The only difference is the speed at which we've had to implement them or catch up has been so much quicker because of the pandemic and to me that's great because if somebody's listening to this and really feeling that challenge around digital and doing more around digital and online with their volunteer engagement 
they don't have to go from a completely standing start. There's people out there that have been doing this. You know, they can they can go and listen to that episode of the Time and Talents podcast. They can engage with people who've already been doing it. And to me, that's that's actually quite an encouragement for people. Well, I hope it sure. is anyway. Yeah. I mean, when I asked about digital maturity the year before COVID, I didn't know COVID was on the horizon. Nah, exactly. I just knew, like, dang, we got to get on the stick here. Because, you know, and it's true, like, and the other thing is like, just accept that you're going to bumble through it for a while. Yeah. It's like learning anything. And so will your volunteers. And yes, people will get grumpy and people get that, you know, the biggest mindset piece of advice I give people around just using technology and digital, because I, I do it on a daily basis and have been for, you know, six years now is, you know, I used to get really bent out of shape when things would, would break. You know, and it would be of no fault. Sometimes it's, yeah, I wouldn't say it's always no fault of my own. Sometimes it's user error. Sometimes it's the technology, a glitch in the technology, whatever. You know, luckily it's gotten smoother. You know, webinars, much yeah, easier than it yeah. used to be five years ago. I mean, you guys drop, we can't hear you. Where are yeah. you? Oh my God, my whole webinar went down. You know, but you just have to like, let that go and not have it be a, you just got to let it go when you're, when you just, oh, here we go again. Try to prevent problems as much as you can, but accept that it will break. Tech breaks. The big, <laughs> the big lie that technology has shared with us over the years. I hate to use that metaphor, but I just have to. I'm trying to put this on a positive spin though. Technology, when it first came out, it's like the heroes of the world, you know, the, the, you know, when technology was, you know, all the new, when Apple first came out, the first yeah. iPhone and all this, you know, the heroes of the world are changing the world for the better. It's, they're perfect people. They make no mistakes. And I think we've all seen that that's not the case. You know, they're human beings. Technology isn't perfect. It's not going to be the savior of all, but it certainly is a good tool. Yeah. Great tool. I was joking with someone this morning that I think it's, the thing that we've learned over the last year with using more webinars and Zooms and Teams is it doesn't matter how proficient you are, how many years you've been doing this, at least once a week, you'll forget to unmute yourself. And in that regard, <laughs> we all have a shared experience around the globe. <laughs> yeah. And then people are like, hey, like you have the, the blurred background. Hey, yeah. how are some people getting the blurred background? Well, you know, they up, upgraded their Zoom. And I'm like, I haven't upgraded my Zoom yet. I didn't figure this out. <laughs> so like, you know, it's fun. And, you know, I don't, you know, gang, it, it, it's life. We got to yeah. evolve. It's life. Yeah. And if you want to, you know, if you yourself, the other thing is your mindset, it, it really rubs off you know, we're going to talk a little bit about other research stuff, but I want to talk a little bit about psychology, but your, your mindset rubs off on other people. So you have to really watch your mindset. And if your mindset is, I hate tech, your volunteers mindset is going yeah. to be, I, hate, I tech. hate tech. Yeah. I think that, that we've got to evolve is really important. And to me, that cuts to the heart of a lot of what we talk about as advanced, because you kind of mentioned it earlier on, you know, the kind of volunteer management practice of, 1985 and, and much of that you know there's still a lot of it that is relevant but it's also we don't live in the same world that we lived in in 1985 so even if that content's relevant the world that we're in is different we've had to evolve as a consequence and that that evolution for me is about is about part of what is what advanced is all about really is about recognizing that we go beyond the basics we go beyond the fundamentals and we get into the and and that really is you just mentioned it there that really is where I kind of want to come to next because when I first met you which I think was that event that we did down in Florida in 2016 mm -hmm. so there's a wonderful picture of you and me and Tony Goodrow and Eliza Kasarin and uh, and Gretchen from Alive with Mickey Mouse which uh it still pops <laughs> up in my memories every now and again um Consulting's a hard gig, folks, when you have to go to Florida to do it. Um, you were really, at that time, pushing quite a lot the, the kind of neuroscience in the content that you were delivering at that event. The neuroscience elements are really going well beyond what I think a lot of volunteer managers would, would really feel comfortable with and going into kind of all of those other fields of research. So tell me a little bit about why you think that's important and maybe some of the kind of key lessons that people can can learn from that in our work and leading volunteers sure years and years ago in my nonprofit career 
I worked for an organization called Job Corps. It's a federal uh, program for at-risk youth. And I was the at regional outreach coordinator and then became the media communications director. And I, my job was to raise awareness about the program, make sure that employers knew about that they could hire these youth, make sure new youth knew this program was available for them. And I did a lot of coalition building or, or partnership development, did a lot of different things out. And there was only one of me and I was in four states. First I started, actually I was in six states in the Midwest and then I moved to San Francisco and I worked in the West Coast in Hawaii. And so there was only one of me. So mm. I had to be really efficient because there was, there's no way I was going to be able to reach everybody with my own voice. So I needed to amplify, but I first needed to understand like what people were going to respond to. And I needed to know my target audience really well. So we hired a firm called Silber and Associates. I can still remember the chief consultant. Her name was Bonnie Silber. I'm absolutely certain she's not working anymore. In fact, I think I tried to find that company online a little while ago. They were based in DC and they did surveying. And this is where I really learned about the power of data and the power right. of research. And so she did a research study on, and I worked, collaborated with her on it. We, we uh, surveyed employers, youth, and I think we surveyed Job Corps staff. And we learned a tremendous amount. And I was able to take that information and really craft a strategy that really began to work and speak to the audiences that I needed to speak to. And when I, you know, I, she was just so good at analyzing the data and it taking, pulling implication from the data that I really just sort of learned at the knee, you know, this was probably in 1990, mid nineties, maybe. Right. Um, and that just had a huge, I mean, the fact that I can still remember the consultant's name. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, and I still have the report. The wow. paper, the other day I was looking, I'm like, where is that report? I want to see what that was all about. And I pulled out the file and I still had the paper report. And this is from like how many, 30 years ago or whatever. Yeah. So from that point on, I was like, ooh, data is important. Research is important. And there's some reasons why it's important. Number one, there's very little social science research on the effectiveness of volunteer engagement or management practices. Would right. you agree? Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, you and I, our job is to train people on this and we're, and to, and to use it in our consulting where we're helping with program development, curriculum development, whatever. And I want to be, I want to know what's working. Yeah. Well, there's very little, I mean, there's the Jeff Bredney, Mark Hager, uh, volunteer, you know, retention practices or management practices and the retention of volunteers gang, just look it up, Google it. You'll find it. Yeah. But that's like what, 15, 20 years old. Yeah, and here, I mean, I, I do a session on valuing volunteer management, and I, I talk about the research that's been done into volunteer management, and certainly research has been done into volunteer management here in the UK. Like the most recent things were 10, 12, 15 years ago. There's, there's yes. very, very little research that will show you that what we all know, that having a volunteer manager will deliver a better volunteer experience, all of these kinds. It just it doesn't exist. Yeah, there's a little bit of research being done in Australia around showing the value of volunteer centers, et cetera, yeah. of that capacity building, but yeah. not the practice itself. And, you know, there's obviously the time well spent studies, amazing, yeah. Yeah. you know, I mean, that that gives us a lot of implication for practice, but it's not direct field research of if you did this, this is going to work this way. If you do this, this is going to work this way. There's a lot of reasons for that. It's expensive. It's mm -hmm. hard to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a reason why I started looking interdisciplinary. I'm, I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, let's see what other fields are doing. So certainly in HR, in employee engagement in CSR, in marketing, those are corporate America has the money to fund those types of research. Right. And, you know, it's, you know, some research is really easier to look at data, like marketing research, anything digital, you can, the digital footprint of what people click open, how long they stay on page, their digital footprint or their behavior is easy. You know, the data doesn't lie and it's easy to collect. So, so that that's helpful. So we really have to look in the interdisciplinary, you know, in, into other fields to figure out like what, what implication for practice. So the other thing is there's all kinds of really cool advances mm -hmm. because of MRI technology, because of digital imaging, that there's neuroscience, psychology, behavior, economics, 
there's just fascinating glimpses into the way humans behave. And so I'm like, you know, humans are complicated and humans doing volunteering are even more complicated and humans leading volunteers, even more complicated and organizational dynamic, even more complicated. And so I just wanted to understand that better. Like what could we impact around how people relate to one another and how can they be productive, happy, pro-social humans doing? Because we know at core, this is the, the fascinating thing or the wonderful thing, at core, we have a compassionate gene. We are predisposed to help one another. It doesn't always look like that way in the world, <laughs> gang, I know, but there is a human instinct to help one another. And if we if we didn't have that instinct, we wouldn't be here now as a species. Yeah. We'd be long yeah. gone. Yeah. So so there there's that basic foundation and what we can stack on top of that and and take it and use it in our, what I call our architecting of the volunteer experience or the volunteer UX, as I like to call it, you know, we need, we need the, we need to become better architects of the volunteer experience because volunteering gang, it's not about paperwork. No, it's about no, people. Exactly. It's about people. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. So what, what would you say is one of the kind of fields of, research or studies that you looked at that's given you one of the kind of outside of volunteer engagement that's kind of given you one of the biggest aha moments when it comes to applying that back in that kind of made you go wow that is really something that I think people would get a kick out of yeah well one of the most impactful I think that has the most direct impact on volunteer organizations and programs is this idea of the psychological contract and that is not new, actually, it's not newly applied. I'm not, when I started applying it, there was not a lot of people applying it to volunteerism. When I, when I looked at it and I didn't really, what I mean is I was reading it and I was like, you know what, this has a lot of implication for volunteer management. Hmm. And there had been like one or two researchers in the social science space who'd said, you know what, this might apply to volunteer engagement because it had started the idea. And in a minute, I'll backtrack and tell you what that is. So people know what I'm saying when I say psychological contract, but the history of it is that it was first applied and understood in a um, in paid employee context, which is yeah. a lot of where the research comes from. And we yeah. know that volunteers are not exactly the same as, as paid staff but the concept was solid. And so there was a few people who had initially written, you know, I would say maybe six, 10 years ago, I'd started writing. And it's been built upon and built upon because it's very fascinating. So a lot of social scientists are building on how does a psychological contract work in the volunteer context? And Pam Capolides, my, my uh, buddy and research partner on the Volunteer Management Progress Report, and her husband, Russell Hoy, over at La Trobe University, just this last year, published a meta study on all of the studies around oh, wow. psychological contract. So Google that gang, because it's very rare in the volunteer space to have a meta study yeah. that collects yeah. all of the other research into one study where it's like basically a book report that you can go through and like track the history of it. So if you want to know more about the history, check that out. But the idea of a psychological contract is that certainly, you know, we have people sign, let's say, volunteer agreements or mm -hmm. waivers, mm -hmm. or we have a position description that we believe creates the contract, the written contract between we, us and our volunteers. But the more powerful contract are the assumptions, the psychological contracts. So the assumptions that we believe that the other person has made to us or the entity has made to us. And the interesting thing about psychological contracts is they go both ways. So if you see the, the employees of the organization also believe that volunteers have made promises to them. The sad thing is these are never, they're mostly implicit. So they've never yeah. been yeah. talked about, right? So if you are in an organization, I'll give you an example of when this plays out, when you know there's a psychological, what happens when a psychological contract breach happens where one side, one party or the other says like, look, this hasn't, you haven't followed through on your promises to me. People begin to withdraw. 
productivity goes down, people start to not show up, people start to not do the job, people start to color outside the lines and not find the guide, follow the guidelines, etc. The way I see this happen is I'll talk to an organization and they'll tell me like the staff and the volunteers aren't getting along. And I'm like, okay, let's see how that might play out. So let's say you had your volunteers come on board. They think they've been promised something. So they come on board. They don't do the job the way it's expected. The staff think they've been promised something, the paid staff. They say to themselves, this volunteer isn't following through. Therefore, I'm not going to offer opportunities to this yeah. person. I'm not going to add any more volunteers to my mix because they're not following through anyway. Those slackers, you know, whatever like judgment we have in our head, right? So they withdraw. They withdraw all this support. They stop talking to the volunteers. They stop socializing with the volunteers. They stop offering compelling work to the volunteers. Then the volunteers are like, well, my psychological contract said you would give me meaningful work and that my time would not be wasted. As per the time well spent study that told us that's the number one for volunteers is yeah. that their time not be wasted. That then, okay, then I'm going to stop showing up because if you're going to waste my time, I don't need to be part of this. And then what happens? The staff go, there they go. The volunteers aren't showing up anymore. There you have it. Volunteers suck. You know, so it becomes this like vicious cycle. Whenever I see this, whenever I see people resistant to engaging volunteers in their departments, I'm like psychological contract breach. Yeah. And all we need to do, gang, to, you know, the implication for this practice is make the implicit explicit. When volunteers come on board, ask them, what are your expectations? Yeah. And we know some of what they are. What I will do with it, like if I'm consulting with an organization, I've done this with advisory groups that are staff and volunteer, paid staff, employee and volunteer together when they're advising me on a, on a consulting project. I always have a group like that to guide me and I'll get a group and I'll go, okay, let's do this exercise together. Okay. Everybody tell me, what do you think? paid staff expect of volunteers let's write them down on the flip chart okay mm -hmm. now and everybody's paid staff and volunteers brainstorm together then on the other side what do volunteers expect of paid staff and inevitably two-thirds of what's written is the same i'm like oh to be treated fairly to be given yeah. the benefit of the doubt to you know to be treated as a colleague to be given the support i need to, to you know we all want to be loved gang. That's yeah. it. We all want to be loved and supported and valued. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Right. But we, instead we don't attune to this. We don't ask questions about it. We don't add it to all of our paperwork. We don't train staff on it. And inevitably, you know, it's like the love languages, you know, yeah. have you heard of yeah, the yeah, love, yeah. Five love yeah. languages in the workplace? I don't get my needs met. It's the other person's fault you know, and our feelings are hurt and we have a, a breach, you know, and it can get worse than that. Right. It yeah. can go on, you know, but then, you know, and the, the, the bad, you know, it's both, it's a side, it's both sides of the coin, you know, both sides are, you know, quote unquote, not guilty of that. That's not, that's too harsh of a word, but both sides participate in this unknowingly. However, in the end, it's the organization's responsibility to create an environment where volunteers yeah. can thrive. It's their yeah. responsibility. Yeah for that. It's not the volunteer's responsibility. And, but in the end, it is volunteers and volunteerism that is blamed Yeah. in the end. Yeah. And, you know, I'm like, gang, you got to own your responsibility. If you have, your agency has chosen volunteer involvement as a human resource strategy to meet your goals, then you need to own yeah. that you need to own creating an environment where that can succeed, that strategy can succeed. Yeah. But it's fascinating. There's much more to it, but it's just like, it just blows my mind, you know? So the work is really important. I think it's very important, very relevant. And, you know, that's where you can see interdisciplinary can really work well yeah. on our behalf. I'm a big, big fan of this. I think, I think that, you know, and it doesn't have to be academic reading. There's a lot of this kind of stuff outside of our field that's really accessible. I mean, one of my my favorites is um, Adam Grant up at Wharton Business School mm -hmm. in Philly, who 
has done books like Originals and Give and Take and his new one about thinking again and about challenging our assumptions and what we've kind of accepted wisdom, which is a theme we've been talking about during the course of this, all of which is really accessible, really readable. You know, anybody that's out there thinking, my God, I can't get through, you know, turgid academic papers and stuff. There's <laughs> yeah. just there's so much good stuff out there. If you just look a little bit outside yes. of our field, yeah, it can like, really advance our practice. Yeah, I mean, Dan Pink's another yeah. one um, where his his books, he always interviews and, and he's a great collector of all this wisdom from different researchers. You know, and then there's researchers like Daniel Ariel, uh, Dan Ariely, I can never pronounce his name properly, predictably irrational that he's a behavior economist and he works in a, he writes in a very accessible way. Mm. The other thing I think folks need to realize is practitioners can conduct their own research inside yeah. their own prog programs. You know, the most simplest, of course, if you're working with your comms department to do some A-B testing on like subject lines, for example, which subject line, what do people open? That's very simple stuff. But, you know, you can always like set a management hypothesis. If I do this, I expect this to happen. So now I'm going to do it and see what happens. So it's just a reflection. You know, it's hypothesizing something, testing it, reflecting it and, and adjusting your action. You don't need necessarily of course we would all love it if we could hire like a silver and associates to come and you know that that, that project was tens of thousands of dollars nobody yeah. can afford that you know so you can do that you can do some of your own and you have your research subject standing right in front of you yeah. the volunteer yeah. who is the most the biggest expert on the volunteer experience who is the number one expert yeah. who knows it more than anyone else the volunteer yeah. They can tell you if you ask. Yeah. 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 And if people are listening to this and going, well, that's all very well and good, Toby and Rob, but I don't have the time to do all of that. Well, one of the good things about working in the field that we do is that we can recruit a volunteer with some of those skills who can come and help lead some of that stuff for us as well. Yeah. And how much more powerful when it's a volunteer talking to volunteers. The other, the other thing is, if you don't have time to improve your practice, yeah. Uh, what do you have time for? I mean, you yeah. know, in the end, uh, you know, one of the things we teach, for example, is where we, I always encourage them, my students to do this with a team, with a volunteer team, we do journey mapping. So to map the volunteer experience step-by-step, step, sometimes we just focus on onboarding. Sometimes we'll focus on an area where retention seems to be an issue. Step-by-step step, at each touch point, what are people's emotional needs and informational needs? Yeah. And I always say, like, do it with your volunteers. Do this in an afternoon and then make the adjustments and see what happens. If the data improves for those touch points, are volunteers continuing rather than leaving? And, you know, I'm like, look, if, if an afternoon spent with a group of volunteers hanging out and brainstorming, number one, you are absolutely solidifying your relationship with those volunteers because they feel highly valued and, and honored to help you out. Yeah. You know, so that's what, how is that time wasted? And then second of all, if it change, if you can improve and make more, you know, gain efficiencies in, for example, your volunteer recruitment or onboarding process, then how is that half, half a day, you know, wasted? So, you know, I always tell people, you got to start to work on your program, not always in your program. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and until you set aside time to, you will never scale. You will never, ever be able to scale past where you're at until yeah. you're able to step aside for a little bit and take some time to learn more about how things are really working. You yeah. just can't, you can't yeah. do it. You can paddle faster and faster and faster, but you're just going to burn out, Yeah. you know, and you have to do the work of explaining to your boss why it's important, yeah. why it's important. And, you know, people are in, inherently curious. So if you go to your board or your, your executive leadership and you say, hey, well, we, we conducted this little study or we did a volunteer satisfaction survey. Now you have to do a good, well-designed volunteer satisfaction survey that gives you actionable data. But if you do something like, and here's what we learned, some curious things I want to share with you. Human beings are curious. They're going to lean into that. And you're going to have more backup for your recommendations for resources, for policy change, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
And I think that's a brilliant way. I mean, we could talk all day about this kind yes, of stuff, but I think that's a brilliant way to bring this to a close is something that you just said in there that I would phrase as, well, look, advanced volunteer management, what is it? It's where you're prepared to advance, to move forward. And if you're yes. prepared to move forward in however small a way in your organisation, then you're an advanced volunteer management, advanced volunteer engagement practitioner. And I hope that by people hearing your enthusiasm and your insights through what we've talked about today, Toby, that will encourage them to take a look outside of their comfort zone and a look outside of their immediate thing and their immediate area of work and think, how can I advance tomorrow, next week, next month, next year in my work? So thank you so much for your time today, Toby. That's really, really appreciated. Um, how can people find out more about you? How can find people find out about Volunteer Pro? Where can they go? Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, one thing, if you're interested in this sort of, you know, architecting of the volunteer experience approach, you might want to check out, we have a free mini course called the art and science of volunteer accountability, where I talk about this in more detail a little bit. I think I talk a little bit about the psychological contract there. You can go to volpro.mykajabi, and I'll give you these links so you can put them in, yeah. the, in the show notes, uh, mykajabi, K-A-J-A-B-I.com forward slash store. Uh, so it's volpro.mykajabi.com forward slash store, and you can just sign up for free for that. It's immediate. You get immediate access. It's an on-demand course, so it's short about 45 minutes, I think. And I think it has a few, it does have a few handouts with it. So you can, you can take and, and take your, what you've learned and start, start moving it into your practice. And then you can always just check out our blog at volpro.net forward slash blogs. We're talking about this stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. We're always trying to share what we're learning with our inter interdisciplinary, you know, with our Volunteer Pro community, we actually do research to practice briefs where we'll take right. research on around a theme and like, uh, but so we're always out there looking for new, you know, new developments. There's so much cool stuff going on. So if you're interested, reach out to us. Also, if you go to my website, you can get, get in touch with me that way and just take a look at what we got to, got to share with folk. There's a lot there, so. Right, and everybody should keep their eyes peeled towards the end of 2021 for the volunteer management progress report field work ready for the 2022 study. Yes. So if you go to volpro.net and just click on the research tab at the top of the page, if you opt in and sign up and download this current research report, you will be added to the list and we'll send you an email. And Rob also always supports us every year in, yeah. in uh, raising awareness about and sharing the survey link with everybody. We work with a network of folk around the world who help us share it and, and amplify it. But yeah, you definitely, once you download one, you'll be on a list and we'll send you an email and say, hey, guess what? The new survey's up. So this year we're probably going to, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of tired of talking about the COVID pandemic. I'm like, please can we move on yeah you know so we're probably gonna i want to see maybe we want to see how how people have bounced back where they're at currently because it'll happen probably in october november the survey so by that time i'll be curious to see how many people have gotten back to full operations but there's also some other things that people have been asking about like you know um, we were talking about budgeting i was training yesterday on budgeting and one of my uh, students, uh, one of my volunteer pro members asked, you know, what's the average? Because I was suggesting, you know, one way to budget is to budget by average, by, by uh, dollar amount per volunteer. And I go, then when mm -hmm. your volunteer program grows, so does your budget, right? Yeah. It's a very strategic way to do it. So he said, well, what's the average? I said, I don't know. Why don't we ask that in the community and see if we can find benchmarks? So one of the things we try to do is figure out some benchmarks that people can yeah. use to compare and advocate. So we'll see what we end up doing this year. I don't know. And I think one of the most, I mean, you said earlier on, there isn't a lot of study into volunteer management. The progress report is is vital in that way. But I think one of the things that I've struggled with over the last years for lots of obvious reasons because of the pandemic, a lot of it's not that a lot of research hasn't been happening into volunteering, but it hasn't happened in the way that is maybe trackable. So here in the in, in England anyway, as part of the UK, 
we've got trackable volunteer data from like the year 2000 to the year 2018, 2019. That survey work just couldn't be done last year. So we've lost a year of yeah. trackable data because yes. of what the progress report does and when it's done, that's been consistent, even though world circumstances obviously change for a year. So that, that element, I agree with you. If I never hear the words pandemic and COVID-19 again, I'll be a happy man. But to actually <laughs> see that trackability and how people have come back, it's going to be a pretty unique piece of research, actually, in our field, which yeah. is really important. So please, folks, if you haven't done it before, where, wherever you are in the world, if there's more than three people listening to this podcast, please go and do the survey this year. And if you've done it before, go back in and do it again. I'll, uh, yeah, and I'll give you one little like nugget that I'm probably going to do. I can't 100% promise it, but usually we ask about salary and then we cross cut salary by different things. So people can advocate for higher salary yeah. or equitable salary, et cetera. And I've had people email me and say, I, hey, I got another FTE in my department because of, because of your report. I got a, a, a pay raise because of your report this last year we didn't ask salary and people complained they were like how come you didn't ask about salary i'm like because we've been doing salary for like you know year after year after year it doesn't change that much i'm not offering any value for, to you guys it's not changing but it would be interesting yeah to see over the pandemic year if salaries have gone up or down that yeah. is interesting yeah, to me that would be interesting yeah anyway cool. we could go cool. on rob we could pleasure. we could and we'll do it somewhere else we'll go on and on and on so but thank you so much toby it's been a real joy to reconnect with you and thank you for coming on the podcast and supporting what we're trying to do with this and yeah hopefully people will check out what you've been doing and volunteer pro and the blog and the progress report and all of these other things so thanks again toby oh thanks for having me <laughs>